Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hoder. Hoder. Buddy. I know you're looking for something to do down there beneath the cave, but I want to make sure you know. Hold on. <laughs> Binge mode contains adult content. If you're okay with what you see on Game of Thrones, you'll be okay with binge mode. Hold on. And now, binge mode. She's torn our family apart. How should we treat people who tear us apart? We should treat them without mercy, and we will. But if you kill the High Sparrow, you won't need the Sept alive, and without you, this is all for nothing. Stand at the head of our army where you belong. My father wanted you. Show our men where their loyalties belong. Show them what Lannisters are, what we do to our enemies. And take that stupid little castle back because it's ours and because you can. And welcome to Binge Mode. Woo! Woo! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Yeah. Joining me today, now that he's finished guzzling down that mug of rabbit's blood. Mmm. Mm. It's delicious. You know you've been spending a lot of time together when you make the exact same sounds at the exact same moment without talking about it in advance. It's Ringer staff writer... And your maester, yeah, Jason Concepcion. Let's go, Jason. Yes. When I last saw you, you were a boy, fearless, <laughs> loved to climb the castle walls, fighting with your mother. Now you're huddled in furs against a tree trunk, looking like you're about an inch from fucking death. Yes, that's very <laughs> that true. might be because we're rewatching all sixty episodes of Game of Thrones, deep diving one at a time. Spoiler warning: as always, we will be going deep on details from the show and books from this episode and beyond. So grab some dragon glass because it's time to break down season six, episode six, Blood of My Blood. Jason? Yep. Mace wants to know what's happening. Madness has had its day. What's happening? <laughs> he seems Desperately confused. Mandus has overtaken this city and grasped in its claws my children. Great use of passive voice. Incredible. Mace Tyrell. Also great use of feathers in your helm. It's just great work all around Mace. Yeah. To help Mace with his confusion, <laughs> let's offer up a brief refresher on what transpired in this sixth installment by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. Beyond the Wall, Mira. Dragging Bran is staggering away from the cave. Bran, still logged into the treater net, and he's receiving chaotic visions from the past and future. The Whites are closing in. They close for the kill, but then they are thwarted by a hooded figure. Is that cold hands music I hear? It is! Here's the thing. Who is cold hands? It turns out it's Benjamin Stark. Hey, that guy. That guy. I remember him because... The Night's Watch brought him up conveniently in order yes. to remind us of his existence no. and kill John. Now, they're not calling him Cold Hands in the show, but in the book, that's what the character's name is. In Horn Hill, the Reach. A new location for us, guys. Horn Hill, lovely home. Sam yes. has brought Gilly and the babe home. And guys, 
Don't mean to alarm you, but Gilly is wearing a dress. Looks... It's hard to walk in this. She's walking like uh, like she's trying to hold it like a hard-boiled egg between her thighs or something. <laughs> I feel you, Gilly. I don't like wearing dresses either. Sam, nervous at the prospect of seeing his father again, understandably so. The plan is to tell Lord and Lady Charlie that Gilly is Sam's woman and baby Sam his son. Leaving out, of course, the part about Gilly being a wildling that would not thrill Randall. Randall. Sam's family is delightful, actually. <laughs> like, his mom's amazing, his sister's amazing, even his brother, whose name is Dickon. Dickon. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't so bad. Randall Tarly, however, is just as humongous and pulsating of an asshole as advertised. Sam, after a painful conversation with his father, steals Heartsbane, the family's Valerian steel sword, off the mantle and slips away in the night with Gillian Sam. Off to Old Town. In King's Landing, the High Sparrow has sunk his claws, in the words of Mace Tyrell, deeper into King Tommen. They discuss Queen Marjorie's looming walk of atonement. Tommen is allowed to see his queen. He finds Marjorie reading the seven-pointed star. Apparently, she's found religion. It's an act, of course, is it? But it's a very convincing one. Mace and Jamie Lannister lead a Tyrell army to the Sept to stop Marjorie's walk of atonement and free Loras Tyrell. The High Sparrow appears to back down, then plays his trump card. King Tommen, newly cleansed by the light of the Seven. What's happening, Mace Tyrell says? What's happening, mother? And Olena, I like how he asks his mom. And Olena makes like several like throat cutting gestures, like cut it out, Mace, stop. Tommen strips Jamie of his white cloak and banishes him from the capital. Luckily, Jamie isn't unemployed for long. He's being sent to help the phrase retake River Run in a very weird slapdash sudden change of plot. In Bravos, yeah, Arya continuing her stake out of the mummers. The power and honesty of Lady Crane's performance touches her. And when the time comes to kill the actress, to let her drink the poisoned rum, Arya backs down, knocks it out of her hands. Just the opening, the waif needs. Arya decides she is Arya Stark of Winterfell. She retrieves Needle, as we knew she would, and prepares to fight the waif. At the Twins. Remember the Twins, guys? Back at the Twins in the Riverlands. Walder Filch lays Uh. into his idiot sons for losing the seat of the Tully's river run to the cunning bravado of the Blackfish, who not incidentally managed to escape the Red Wedding when he needed to take a leak. Go take it back, he says. But how? Well, how about by taking this guy that we had hostage, Ed Muratulli, you remember him, the groom of the Red Wedding, Take him to Riverrun, threaten to kill him in front of the walls, and maybe the Blackfish will open up the gate. He won't. On the road to Marine, Danny rides at the head of her new Kalisar, and she spies in the distance. Is that? Yeah, what is that? A little sandstorm? Something in the wind? What is that? Ah, we know. She knows. Drogon. She goes to retrieve him. Dario's nervous for a second. Where is she? She's been gone too long. Ah, here she is. Danny lands. Drogon in front of her grand Colossar. He has grown yet again. He's, He's a big boy now. She names all of the assembled her blood riders. Mal. Yes. Here's the thing. I told him I met you in the north. 
Did you tell them how far no, north? I didn't tell. I didn't tell. I was, no. Well, that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is the family you choose. Sam and Gilly at Horn Hill. Sam joined the Night's Watch because his father didn't want him anymore. More than that, he literally was like, I'll fucking murder you. You will like fall off your horse on a hunt or something will happen and your mom will be real sad and that'll be that. That's what Randall Tarley said to Sam because he didn't want Sam to have Hart's Bane or inherit Horn Hill. So... We know that Sam was close with his mother. In this episode, we see that his mother and sister are absolutely fantastic human beings, like wonderful people. Uh, And Dickon, Dickon, is actually, he's fine. He's like a frat, kind of fratty, but he's fine. He's pretty chill. He's a bro. He's a Westerosi bro. He's like, man, I really missed out on that Nights of Summer thing. (laughs) He really did. He was like... (laughs) Well, that sounds wonderful, actually. Nights of Summer. Oh, I missed that. Uh, but his father is a fucking racist, monster, asshole. He's like Tywin without any of the charmer intelligence. Just a stern, unyielding piece of iron and asshole. And we find out that Sam had to leave his home because, essentially, he was rejected by his family. So it's no surprise that up at Castle Black, he chose a family of his own first Within the watch, John, Ed, Gren, Pip, the brothers who related to him in a way that Dickon, the golden chosen boy. Oh, actually, this is from last week's hunt. (laughs) This venison, yeah, brought it down at a range of 70 yards. What a shot. In a way that Dickon, the golden boy, never could. And now Sam has chosen Gilly and the babes, maybe breaking his vows, possibly not as his Family. And now he's back in Hornhill spreading a lie that could theoretically threaten his position in the Night's Watch. Also, Randall will take in Gilly and the babe and allow them to be safe. That's how much Gilly and baby Sam mean to him. As he said early in the season, he cares about saving the world. Sure, yeah, I like White Walkers, all that stuff. We gotta stop him. I get that. But he wants to protect Gilly. He wants to protect the baby. So now he's taking them home to a place he doesn't want to go to because he wants to make sure they're safe. And he cares so much about their safety that he's willing to walk into this hornet's nest of mockery and shame that he knows is awaiting him when his father is absolutely unleashing this tirade of terrible insults at him at the dinner table. He's got this look of resignation. Like he just is in a defensive crouch just letting this wash over him. And as he tells Gilly before the dinner, I didn't think I'd ever come back here after my father made me renounce my title and inheritance and, you know, threaten to kill me if I didn't. <laughs> a person just doesn't feel welcome at that point. <laughs> Wonderful dry joke from Sam. And sure enough, you know, his mother and sister are delights. Just look at the way they treat Gilly and the baby. Oh, Love my, this. you are lovely, says Sam's mother. A little bit surprised at how well <laughs> Sam did. Yeah. And then the part with the baby is just heartwarming. Hello, little one. It's me, your grandmother. And the baby is reaching for her. Just when he, when yeah. Sam introduces and my son, <sighs> like the like look of pride. pride. Beaming with pride. He did it. And as the child is reaching for the for Sam's mom, she says, you have a curious mind. I can tell you'll be a scholar like your father. Saying that with pride. With pride. But what does Randall think about reading books and shit? He thinks it's fucking garbage. And at the <laughs> dinner table, as Sam asks for a piece of bread, you know, carbs, Randall says, 
Not fat enough already? Then he just so launches mean. into a awful fucking broadside about his guests, about Sam. Gilly's borrowed dress, of course, isn't enough to fool him. And he says something terrible to her after he finds out she's a wildling. He says, I took her for a Molestown whore, but I guess I overestimated you. Awful. And then he says something to the effect of, you bring this thing here to dine with me at my table. Uh, just fucking disgusting. Randall also shames Sam for wanting to become a maester. This is one of the great professions that you can have in this realm. Maesters are respected mostly uh, across the realm. Very, they play important roles in educating children. This is the highest, essentially the highest level of education uh, a child in the realm can get is at the foot of a maester. And we see now that the Citadel, in effect, is another family that Sam is choosing. Sam loves books. There's no place that he would be happier than surrounded by them at the Citadel. Sam's mother is proud of this. She realizes becoming a maester is an achievement. It's an honor. And we as viewers understand that Sam is going to gain essential, crucial knowledge. Randall? I thought the Night's Watch would make a man of you. Something resembling a man, at least. This fucking piece of shit. <laughs> and credit to Sam's mom for storming off with Sam's sister and saying, you know, you you dishonor yourself, right. Randall Tarley. You're just acting terribly. And credit to Sam for choosing the acceptance of Gilly and baby Sam and his new family because Randall agrees to give Sam essentially what he wants. Right. Yes, I will take in this wildling wench, let her work in the kitchens, and baby Sam will be raised here. The bastard, he calls him. And Sam rejects this. He'd rather reject this poison chalice than than take it and wonder about the insults, the jibes, the things that Randall would surely be saying to his beloved on a daily fucking basis. So after he apologizes to Gilly about all the things that happened, and Gilly says, I'm not angry with you. I'm angry at the horrible people who can treat good people that way and get away with it. And Sam is like, okay, you know, good night, guys. I'm going to go to bed, and then in the morning I'm going to go to the Citadel. He walks out for 15 seconds and then comes back. No, we're leaving. Get your stuff. Pack up. They pack up. They leave, and on the way out, uh, he reaches up above the mantle, grabs Heartsbane, the ancestral Valyrian sword of the Tarleys for 500 years, and Gilly says, it's your father's sword. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it's my family's sword. Very crucial correction. What he's saying here is, yes, it's my family's sword, and this is my family. The symbolism of taking the sword is so yeah. beautiful because on the one hand, he's grabbing the one thing that Randall at the dinner table said, that's the that's, that's what I couldn't that's abide. It. Right. He can't get the sword. He can't make a right. mockery of this house and our legacy. And then, of course, also, well, why does Randall think that being a maester is, is insufficient because it's not manly. It's, it's not, not masculine. Martial. It's not martial. Exactly. Not, you're not killing things. You're not a warrior. And right. there was the great moment at the dinner when Gilly steps up and says, he, Sam's a greater warrior than either <laughs> right. of you. He killed a white walker and a thin. What yeah. the fuck have you done? Right. Well, you know, Randall did beat Randall's, Robert. Yeah, Randall's and is like legit a great, yeah. great warrior. But Gilly stood up for Sam. And the, again, the symbolism of him grabbing that sword and saying, you know what? I am a warrior. I right. am a man is awesome. The Lannisters. The Tyrells, the Sparrows, a lot of warrior action here, too. Cersei's entire life, as we have discussed many times, has been about her family. Not in the way that it was for Tywin, where it was about the name, the legacy, the idea, but literally about the well-being and advancement of her children and her lover brother. Brother lover? Brother lover? Brother lover? lover? Brother. 
Part of why Cersei hates Marjorie so much and has always hated her is the threat that Marjorie represents, not just of Cersei losing control over right. Tommen, but of Tommen choosing a new that's family. Right. And that's what's happening. As usual, yeah. Cersei is causing the thing that she's trying to avoid. And Tommen is choosing a new family, right. just not exactly the one that everyone was expecting. He chose Marjorie. That's true. He also through Marjorie, with Marjorie, is choosing the High Sparrow and religion because he'd chosen Marjorie, who now is telling him to choose the faith. The thing that Cersei feared was founded in this sense. Marjorie's manipulations in games really are actually threatening the Lannister nuclear family. And there's some delicious irony there in Marjorie being the one causing that harm to the core of the Lannister family when so many of Cersei's threats to Marjorie were directed at that same idea. You heard about the Reigns of Castamere? That's what we can do to the Tyrells. Well, kind of is happening in reverse at this moment. Spoiler alert, it will turn the other way again. First red flag here. When the High Spiral lets Tom and see Marjorie, Marjorie is clean. She has received a bath, and she had to have done something to earn that bath. We've seen the conditions that these prisoners are kept in, the squalor, the filth. Well, what was that something? It turns out it was agreeing to convert Tommen, who is smitten with Marjorie and will do literally whatever she says. He just wants to get back in that bed, converting him to the cause. An abridged version here of what she says to him about the sparrow to sort of soften him up to this idea. He's not quite what we thought he was, is he? There's something about him, his way of looking at the world. It's not an easy thing admitting to yourself what you really are. It's taken me a while, but he's helped me. Right. All those stories I told myself about who I was and why I did the things I did, there were so many lies in those stories. She is explaining to Tommen that she has had an awakening thanks to the High Sparrow. Why don't you have an awakening of your own? Right. Join me in this journey. Join me in finding clarity and peace. Now, of course, Cersei, Jamie, and the Tyrells have no idea that Zero. this conversion is afoot. They are enacting a plan of their own. Jamie and Mace in his very fine armor. It looks beautiful. Very fine helm. Not a scratch on that thing. <laughs> Maybe some barbecue sauce down right. the front, but definitely not a scratch. Leading the Tyrell forces up to the Sept to stop Marjorie's Walk of Atonement. Mace! Madness has had its day! <laughs> Indeed it has. Indeed it has. Jamie making his demands, making his threats, and then the High Sparrow shocks them. There won't be a Walk of Atonement, guys. Has he guys. Down? What? I sent you an updated paperless post. Did right. you not get it? Yeah. Queen Marjorie has already atoned for her sins by bringing another into the true light of the Seven. Ah, Tommen walks out. Jamie looks horrified. This right. is an expression we've only seen on his face a couple times, like when Tyrion wouldn't shut up at his own trial. Kingsguard? Sporting some new armor there, right. the crown on the seven-pointed star, Jamie looking the fool in his outdated fashion. Uh-oh, not good. Tommen is clearly already in deep here. He has made his choice. He has picked a new family. The High Sparrow says, together we announce a new age of harmony, a holy alliance between the crown and the faith. Here's one of the incredible things about this. Tommen and Marjorie are making the exact same mistake yeah. that Cersei just made. Even if Marjorie is playing a game here, she's still giving the High Sparrow an edge. Tommen is not playing a game. He's doing that purely. How can they be so foolish? 
And then there's a great moment right after this reveal where, where Mace turns to Lena and says, what is happening? No, Lena knows. <laughs> yeah. He's beaten us. That's what's happening. Less unsaid. Dumbass. Tommen's choice is confirmed for us in the very next scene when Jamie is shedding his King's Guard armor, Barristan Selmy style, and Tommen is dismissing him. He says, when you attack the faith, you attack the crown. Anyone who attacks the crown is unfit to serve as Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Jamie is shocked. Yeah. This is his life. This is what he's been doing. What else am I supposed to go do? Telling Tommen, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do anything. I have to answer to the gods. Not when you're sitting in that chair. He's reminding Tommen that he gets to choose. But, of course, he's not really seeing that yeah. Tommen already has. He's chosen his new family, the Faith. And, once again, becoming a bit of a pattern here. Cersei and Jamie forced to debrief about how fucked their lives are, how everyone has screwed them. And despite Cersei's often blinding devotion to her children, despite her sexual transgressions, you know, Lancel in the yeah. show, Kettle Blacks in the book. This has always been her true family and Jamie's true family. The two of them against the world. That's always really been the right. choice that they're making. And he's in a funk about being sent to Riverrun to help the phrase beat back the Blackfish. And the idea of family is at the heart of what he's mourning here. He has our son. He yep. stole our son. He's torn our family apart. How should we treat people who tear us apart, he says to Cersei. And she tells him to embrace this chance. Right. Stand at the head of our army where you belong, where father wanted you. Ah, Tywin, always hanging over the idea of family for these people. Show our men where their loyalties belong. Show them what Lannisters are and what we do to our enemies. She adds, they have no idea how strong we are. No idea what we're going to do to them. We've always been together. We'll always be together. We're the only two people in the world. That is family to them now. The two of them and also the vehicle for vengeance. The phrase and the twins and Edmure Tully and the Blackfish. Hey, you guys remember the phrase? It's been a long time since we were last at the Twins. I think it was the wake of the Red Wedding. And Filch is pissed. His dumbass sons have lost River on the seat of the Tullys. How exactly? We're not exa- we don't know. But the Blackfish certainly knows all the tricks and ins and outs of that castle. And as, as ever, Walder's concerns are less about practical gains and more about a conceptual edge. He's always felt that the Tullys, all these other great families, have looked down on them because the Freys are a younger house. He doesn't want that to happen anymore. He wants people to tremble when they think of the phrase. He wants to be a superior house. And this really sticks in his craw. He says, they're laughing at us all across the Riverlands. I can hear it in my sleep. I'm not dead yet, unfortunately for you. And he means like his 85 (laughs) kids. And I'll not leave this world until they choke on that laughter. Take that castle back. When Walder's sons note that the Blackfish will never yield Frey, decides to weaponize the Blackfish's family against him. Oh, he'll yield. You show him the knife used to kill Rob Stark's child in his whole mother's belly. And you show him the knife used to open his niece's throat. And you remind him who it was that got married at the Red Wedding in the first place. His nephew! And by the way, he's also reminding us, because yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a fact that escapes a lot of people, that it was actually Edmure Tully who got married at the Red Wedding. And they bring him in, and he looks like, Shit, Shit. like he's been in a dungeon for two years. He's in chains. In truth, he's just been filming Outlander, but that's (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Walter says, cheer up, Lord Edmure. You're going home. The worst thing about the phrase disappearing for so long is that we've been robbed of that voice work. Incredible stuff. (laughs) Thank you. Danny, Drogon, Dario, 
100,000 Dothraki. Or whatever, a lot. What a family, what a crew. One of Danny's numerous titles, 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 is Mother of Dragons. No subtext there. Drogon is her child, her baby. That's right. Now, she is bucking Dothraki tradition and naming her entire Kalsar as her blood riders, a title of honor usually reserved for Kyle's three closest companions. The position is a basically a combination of bodyguard and brother. The Kyle and his or her blood riders refer to the, the name is Blood of My Blood. That's the name of this episode. We've heard this used on the show heavily in season one, some in season two. When the Kyle dies, tradition holds that the blood rider must die too. That's how sacred this bond is, either in battle, avenging the blood of their, of their blood or by their own hand. Danny just gave that to everyone. <laughs> you are all my brothers. Real polygamist move yeah. by Danny, taking something sacred and holy and personal and applying it to everyone. Danny really is a believer in the idea that her strength comes from numbers. Part of that is just because so many people have told her, hey, you're really going to need a lot of bodies to yeah. take Westeros. Part of that is because the way she identifies is as mother of dragons, breaker of chains, not just a conqueror, but... Misa, mother. That's right. Well, who is a mother without children? That's right. Uh, the Mummers and Arya. It's impossible to watch the Mummers backstage at their ease. Lady Crane is embarrelled, put upon writer-director young Bianca and Clorenzo and the dwarf Babono and not see them as a family. They play. They're not, they don't just play a family on TV, guys. They are a family. They bicker and complain in a way that only people who really know each other well can. They praise each other, and then immediately bust each other's balls. This must be part of what draws Arya to them and to Lady Crane in particular. And surely she can relate to the story of how Lady Crane came to find her calling. She tells Arya, I remember when the players came to my village. I didn't have any money, so I snuck in just like you, saw the painted faces, the costumes, listened to the songs, cried, and when the young lovers died in each other's arms, I ran off and joined them the next day. Never looked back. They also remind Arya of her own family, and how could they not? They're reenacting the great tragedy of her life. And one of the amazing subtleties here is that, though Arya absolutely loathes Cersei, it's Lady Crane's powerful depiction of Cersei as a mother who lost her child that draws Arya in and really affects her. She's watching fake Sansa recite the lines she's studying, but is she also kind of sympathetic? These people yeah. are little less monstrous when you realize that they love their children, too. Although Cersei's still monstrous. The play is a portal into Cersei's family life, in a way. A propagandized version of Cersei's life, but still. And Arya wants more familial agony. The queen loves her son more than anything. When they're discussing the scene uh, backstage before Arya uh, slaps the poisoned rum glass out of Lady Crane's hand, they're discussing the scene, and Arya says, the queen loves her son more than anything, and he was taken from her before she could say goodbye. She wouldn't just cry. She would be angry. She would want to kill the person who did this to her. And Arya makes her choice. I don't want to kill Lady Crane. I like her. Right. She's great. <laughs> um, and she knows that making this choice means definitively not choosing the faceless men as her new family. And what is a con job anyway? She was always just trying to get those free classes. Jockin <laughs> and the Waif won't have her back after this. She knows it. So she goes to get Needle. And symbolically, we know as soon as she pulls that thing out, I'm Arya Stark. That's it. I'm not no one anymore. And then great little side note from this play. Tywin Lannister, one of the greatest leaders the realm has ever produced, reduced to a parody of himself, a character known primarily now throughout history 
for dying on the shitter. A lot of farting. It's very (laughs) (laughs) Finally, Bran, Mira, Uncle Benjen. Yeah. Mira is still here. She is still with Bran. She chooses him. He is her family now. She puts her body over his in those final moments to protect him from certain death. Can't really protect him, but just to spare him for a second. That's how much she cares. Important, considering a few episodes ago she was like, I'm kind of out on this. Also, speaking of family, hey guys, Benjamin Stark is back. (laughs) Incredible stuff. But P.S., I will never forgive Game of Thrones for putting Benjamin Stark's uh, I'm going on a ranging (laughs) clip from season one in the preview clips that lets you know the stuff that you're going to see. Yeah. Because it was like, wow, spoiler, guys. Now I know that Cold Hands is here. That's (laughs) really tough. Really tough. Continue. He is literally Bran's family. Mm -hmm. He's his uncle. And he is now choosing to be Bran's family again. He's been out here for like... A while now. Yeah, making like uh, metal balls <laughs> with fire inside. Benjamin's story. I went to the north to find the White Walkers. They found us. A White Walker stabbed me in the gut with a sword of ice, left me there to die, to turn. The children found me, stopped the Walkers' magic from taking hold. How? The same way they made the Walkers in the first place. You saw it yourself. Dragon glass, a shard of dragon glass plunged into your heart. This is another huge reveal for us that this yeah. process can be reversed with the proper supplies and presumably the proper timing. Part of opting in to Brand's family means at this point, one, reminding him of his mission. Yeah. You're the three eyed raven now. And two, Helping him with it. I didn't have time to learn. I can't control anything, Bran says. You must learn to yep. control it before the Night's King comes. Drink. Just to be clear, Benjen tells Bran to drink the rabbit's blood. That's not us doing like a Night's King drinking game. He gives Bran this substance. Bran consumes it one way or another. He will find his way to the world of men, Benjen says about the Night's King. And when he does, you will be there waiting for him and you will be Woo! ready. This is going to be an eventful family vacation. Jason. Yeah. You are the three-eyed raven now. I can see everything. (laughs) Or so says Cold Hands, who amazingly is finally on the show after, what, six years at that point of speculation about whether he would appear in the show story. And like (laughs) 16 years, I I think. I can't even count it. Of speculation in Bookland about who he actually is. we were young then. We finally got the answer here, or at least an answer, because not necessarily going to be the same answer in the book. So to better understand the character of Cold Hands, who George crafted, the role that Cold Hands plays in the Song of Ice and Fire saga, and the mystery that still surrounds this fan favorite figure, please assemble the Conclave and head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about book Cold Hands. Book Cold Hands. Yeah. First things absolutely fucking first. Benjamin Stark is not Cold Hands. The book version, that is. This from the mouth of God himself, the person whose fingers spake the story into existence, George Double R, the Martin. He categorically is not, or is he, 
we'll get into that later. Uh, how do we know this? Because George's papers were donated to Texas A&M. And in there, there is the original manuscript of the of a chapter involving cold hands and his editor, Ann Grohl, writes in the margins. Is this Benjamin? I think it is Benjamin. And is the fact that we Bran can never see his face fully why we don't recognize him? And George writes in red pen simply, no, with a circle around it. Liar. Okay. So we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> so in the books, the identity of this hulking, likely deceased, probable ex-brother of the Night's Watch is still a mystery and one of the most debated mysteries in the story. His role, though, is essentially the same if reversed in terms of the timeline. Instead of saving Bran and Mira from the Army of the Dead, he ferries them, plus Jojen, to the cave, rides an elk, not a horse. He also aids Samwell and Gilly in their flight from Craster's back to the south of the wall. We'll speculate on who he might be just in a little bit, but let me just say this. The actually important thing about Cold's hands is this. He shows us that in this world, there is now, definitively, a fourth way to shake off the implacable grip of death. Thus far, we've seen the way of science, the way of ice, and the way of fire. Kyburn, Kyburn, Kyburn's <laughs> scientific method returns Sir Gregor to the land of the living or whatever state of animation the mountain technically resides in. Clegane, not a deep thinker in life, but in his current state, he's basically just an eight-foot Terminator programmed somehow to only follow Cersei Lannister's orders. We don't know how that works. The White Walkers, of course, are the way of ice. They turn the fallen, man, animal, whatever, into hack-and-slash zombies bent on murdering anything that stand in their path. They follow the will of their masters and seemingly have no agency of their own. Then there's the way of fire. Think Thoros whispering the Lord of Light's words into the barracks ear. Melisandre pulling up from three-quarters court and launching a prayer to a lord to bring back John. <laughs> this way erodes some portion of a person's substance. Remember Beric saying that each time he felt a little less, but they remained basically very much themselves. Beric's compadres and the Brothers Without Banners find the six-time death beater likable enough. If a grim shadow of what he once was, they're happy enough to hang out with him. And John is still John. His sadness, though, now seasoned with gallows humor and cynicism, and it, maybe that's just a natural reaction to all the shit he's seen. The existence of cold hands, though, shows us there's another way. Call it the old way of the old gods, perhaps, as Mallory said. The children were able to reverse or slow or whatever the process of turning into white by a plunging dragonglass into Benjen's heart as he was turning. This is big news, guys. The children, and Bran, perhaps, can halt the white process enough so that a person retains their humanity, if not their actual biological life functions. And you have to think this will be put to use sometime soon. Now... Let us speculate on who Cold Hands is. Is it actually Benjen? Yes. It is. <laughs> it is. So, George so, is lying. So George is just like, he's like, well, I know my papers he's are like, going to oh, go. He's like, oh, shit, they solved it. I got it. What do I do here? I know uh, that my papers are going to go and be on public display, so I'm just going to write no here, and that's going to throw people off. That's the, the. I'm not saying that that's not possible. I love that, by the way. Yes. It, that would be an ultimate troll. Like, I would love that so much if it was like, guys, this is canon, okay? George wrote in the margin of his manuscript that it's not. And then he's like, fuck it, it's Benjamin. <laughs> also, there could be some really subtle, like, letter of the word. Like, right. is it Benjamin? Right. It's no, like, it's the man who used to be right. Benjamin. It's Benjamin's husk of a body. I don't know. Like, there's some way that George could be telling the truth and lying at in, the same time. In the time. words of ghost Obi-Wan Kenobi, well, it was true from a certain point of view. Exactly. Right. And just, okay, the description of who 
cold hands is, how he is, what he looks like, when he was when. killed. That's all the of when it is big. Doesn't fit anyone perfectly. There's right. no one possibility where it's like, oh, well, just clearly, yeah, this is it. Right. And so even though not every single fact aligns with Benjamin, the killed long ago line right. being the most problematic given when he disappeared a lot of it still does fit him. One thing that's key is he calls Sam brother, which yeah. really indicates that he was in the Night's Watch. Right. We obviously know that that's true for Benjen, the garb, yep. a lot of things linking him to the brothers. Well, guess who was a brother in the Night's Watch? Also, just like some basic Chekhov's Benjen Stark stuff here. Sure. Like, you create a character, you connect him to people who are super <laughs> important in the disappears. world. And he just disappears. Like, and he's in the region where a huge right. portion yeah, of the key part of the story is taking right. place. Right, like, right, right, right. He's going to come back into play. It just makes sense that it would be I, I would love it. Because it would be the ultimate troll. I really hope that happens. Who else could it possibly my be? Other, my second best, and I think you agree with me, the, yeah. the second most likely suspect here is Sir Duncan. Duncan the Tall, who play is a primary character in the Dunk and Egg prequel novels. He was a big hedge knight who then gets named to the Kingsguard. Here are the reasons why it possibly is not and is him. So here are the cons. He's not a member of the Night's Watch. He's presumed to have died at the tragedy of Summerhall, which is when Aegon V was trying to reawaken dragons. Something happened. The castle was destroyed and many, many people died. And we know that... Uh, the bravery of Sir Duncan saved many lives there, and he's presumed to have died there. Now the pros. Uh, we do know that he traveled to Eastwatch by the sea when Aemon took the black. He accompanied Aemon to the wall. Two, nobody knows what happened in Summerhall. It's one, it is another one of the great mysteries of the books. We've got fragmentary evidence, but we don't know what happened there. And if he survived, he wouldn't be the only one because there's a woods witch known as the Ghost of High Heart who was a companion of a woman named Jenny of the Old Stones, uh, and she was definitely at Summerhall and also survived. And lastly, Leaf describes Cold Hands in the books thusly saying, they killed him long ago. So if the current show timeline from like episode one to where we are now is something like three to five years and change, is that long enough ago to call it long ago? Whereas if it's Sir Duncan, it's like 100 years ago. We don't know. Those are our suspects. You decide. It's Benjamin. I have decided. <laughs> Maester. Yeah. They've found us. Uh-oh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. The dead won't rest. That's right. But before the whites close in, let's head to the Sept. Let's go. Bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations. Yeah. Lightning round style. But, but. I love it. With a blood of my blood twist. Blood of my blood. All seven of these insights and observations are going to be specifically pertaining to Brand's episode opening unplugged treater net vision flash. On the Wi-Fi. Strong Wi-Fi, <laughs> baby. Hope he has a good data plan. Yeah. Loaded. So much in that vision. Notable moments from the past. Some heavy clues from the future. Heavy. Now, a lot of what happens in the rest of the season confirms some of what we see in here. But still, we are going to talk about the things that we love the most here. And some of this is still going to be speculating right. about the future. You go first. What's number one? First of all, let's start at the end. After Bran receives his visions, Mira is talking to Benjen. And she says, how'd you find us? And he said, the three-eyed raven sent me. And she says, the three-eyed raven is dead. And Benjen says... And now he lives again, and boom, Bran Stark sits up. Spooky. 
Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to Binge Mode. Two! Yeah. Pyromancers. Pouring jars of wildfire. The shapes of these <laughs> canisters. <laughs> different. Uh-huh. Visibly different from what we have seen in the actual current timeline of the show before. So this is either the past or the future, but right. it is definitively not Tyrion's Blackwater stash. Either means that it is confirmation. That is long speculated there's more wildfire from the Mad King's days stashed somewhere in King's Landing or that someone is going to have more brood in the future. Ah, now we see many, many flashes of the wildfire, but certain moments, the cut directly from the pyromancers pouring the substance to the Mad King shouting, burn them all, indicates that this is his stash, that kind of juxtaposition, not an accident. And then... We see an actual wildfire explosion underground, clearly, clearly beneath the building, not out on open water. This is not Blackwater. This is not Tyrion's trick. This is different. In the books, in A Feast for Crows, Cersei has the alchemist burn the Tower of the Hand down with wildfire. This tells us, this confirms that Cersei does know that there is some wildfire left Somewhere after Blackwater. Now, this is crucial, this last point here. Ares, the Mad King, did not use his stash to blow up the city like he wanted to. He had some smaller dalliances with the wildfire, but never the massive citywide horror that he wanted to unleash. But Jamie killed him. As he was threatening to use it and then hunted down the pyromancers who knew about it to prevent them from carrying out the Mad King's plan. This basically can't Can't be be. a past explosion. Now, it is possible, possible that it could be the tragedy at Summerhall, which Jason mentioned earlier. In Archmaester Gildane's history of House Targaryen, he... It's a splotched page. There's a lot of missing information you can't see, but the word wildfire does appear... They were trying to raise dragons. We don't, as Jason said, know what happened. Could it have involved wildfire? Maybe. A lot of uh, fan art out there that's got, you know, orange fire, not green. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So, is this a future explosion? Now. Yes. When we saw this at the time. Obviously now, spoiler alert. We know definitively this is Cersei's Sept of Baylor explosion from the season finale. We know that this is true. When we saw this at the time, though, there was enough evidence here, and it was thrilling. There was enough evidence here to make this prediction, to piece this together and say, Cersei or someone is going to find this stash and use it. Number three, we see a dragon's shadow flapping its wings over the rooftops, gliding over the rooftops, those red tile rooftops of King's Landing. And this has to be the future, right? Danny's arrival when Aegon conquered Westeros, King's Landing didn't exist. There was the he would build three hills. Right, that's right. He would build a fort. One of the first things he did when he when he invaded from Dragonstone is he built a fort that would become the Red Keep eventually, uh, and the city grew up around that. But that took a long time. Sure, it could be a dragon flying over the capital at some other point before they died off. But this must be a significant moment and arrival, not just some random time the dragon. 
dragons flew over the capital. Also, one of the cuts from the shadow shot goes right to Danny with baby Drogon on her shoulder. Also, also, we've seen shots in past brand visions and in Danny's house, the undying trip of the throne room, seemingly after a dragon attack. This has to be something from the future. And just the dragon that we see in the shots of the sky, it either looks like Drogon or maybe Balerion. Four, the bed of blood. Promise me, Ned. We go right from Ned in this vision saying, where's my sister, to a shot of a man's bloody hand on what appears to be a woman's bloody torso. We know from the books that Ned found Lyanna in what he describes internally in his mind as a bed of blood. And there are other instances of George using that phrasing to describe childbirth. So it's not a leap at all to say, okay, bed of blood, she had a baby. This was a key, key, key bit of information that readers for a long time used to support the Liana's John's mom theory. Now, of course, after Winds of Winter, the season six finale, spoiler alert, we know this to be true. This is John's birthbed. It is Liana's deathbed. A key part of the mystery of John's parentage now solved. But again, when we saw it at the time, it was like, oh, shit. Yeah. That's the bed of blood. We had just recently been to Tower of Joy. It was clearly building toward this big reveal. Very exciting stuff. Number five, the Mad King. We get him. We get to see Ares to the Mad for the first time shouting, burn them all. His long fingernailed fingers splayed out like pale spiders on the Iron Throne. Jamie climbing the stairs towards the throne stabbing the Mad King. This is one of the most crucial moments in the story, in the history of this world, and we're seeing it here for the first time. There's a juxtaposition of shots, a smash cut of Roos killing Rob that happens right after this, which is kind of unkind to Jamie. <laughs> but we also see for the first time Jamie sitting on the throne. This is something that would bother Ned for the rest of his life, essentially. And we got to be honest, you know, Jamie looks good sitting on the throne. Looked right. But this is haunting after seeing Winds of Winter and, and knowing that Cersei is going to sit in that chair for real. Number six. Yeah. A couple questions here. Yeah. Is there any significance to which of Bran's family members Mm. he sees in this vision? He sees himself, obviously. And then he sees John, Ned, Rob, and Kat. He does not see Arya and Sansa. What do you make of that? And then second question, relatedly, in terms of what made the cut here and what didn't, other than the shots of, like, the tree turnet itself, ravens, roots, the north— is basically everything in this vision like some sort of danger or threat? You know, you have somebody dying, yeah. someone engaging in a perilous battle, hard home, Bran yeah. seeing the Night's King, dragons yeah. looming over a city, a baby being converted right. into a Night's Walker. None of this shit is good. There aren't happy all things bad. here. Burn them all. King being slain. What does that mean for Danny's heavy yeah. involvement and heavy presence in this vision? Does it spell doom for her or does it spell doom for the kingdom that she intends to conquer? Number seven. And obviously lots and lots and lots of shots of the Night King and his army at the Fist, at Hardhome, in Bran's visions, turning the Craster son into a walker, and being created by the children. Lots of great stuff in that vision. Guess that guy's going to matter. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Incredible stuff. Love when we get a scene in the show where we can go frame by frame. Mal, you're a nervous talker, just like this episode's champ, but it's not any better being a nervous mute. Each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game and advance his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is... Samuel Tarly! Sam's great. He's really good. Love it. He's fucking great. I mean, he's, he displayed a heavy and thick set of nuts just by going home. 
his father was like, I'm going to kill you, boy. And, and he just like, you know, this is the, I think this is the best thing to do. We're just going to go back here because I need a place for you, Gilly, and the baby to be able to chill. He cares more about their safety than he cared about his own in this moment. And... You know, Randall gives him what he wants. She can work in the kitchens and the baby will be, you know, whatever we do with him. He can work in the fucking stables. You know, Randall doesn't spell it out, but this is what Sam wanted. Are you going to reject that? Yes. Sam is like, fuck this. I'm not going to take this abuse anymore. And he finally stands up to his dad, takes heart Spain, the 500-year-old ancestral Valerian steel sword, which not only is it priceless, but now we know one of the only things that can kill White Walkers is going to need that. Yes. Better to reject Randall's offer, bitter offer, and roll the dice at the Citadel than fucking let your family stay here and take this kind of abuse. And, of course, he makes some amusing small talk about hunting. This venison is very tasty. Is it from today's hunt? Dick on. <laughs> no, we haven't been able to cure that one yet. This is from the last week's hunt. Do you hunt, brother? North of the wall, if you don't hunt, you don't eat. Sam. <laughs> Love just, it. Sam just laying down. Yeah, I've been hunting. Are you kidding me? Mostly rabbits, but yeah, even so. that's all right. Great episode for Sam. Really, really great. Also, you know, he got clean, brushed his hair. Looked good. Looked great. Yeah. Stole a kiss in the night. Yeah, I like good it. Good stuff. All right. Yeah. We will not choose... Three blood riders. That's right. We choose you all. That's all of you. You are we'll all our blood riders. Ask more of you than any podcasters have ever asked of their audience. <laughs> so we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing season six, episode seven, The Broken Man. Can't wait to just say tits and dragons 500 times yes, when we record absolutely. that one. Until then, remember. It'd all just be farting, belching, and slapping without you. Mother, I'm working on something. I'd like you to hear it. Yes, Mace. My friends, the hour has arrived. Oh, come. What do you think about come here? Madness! has overtaken this city and grasped in its claws my children! But now we must drive it back under the rocks from whence it came, the claws. Just the claws came from under the rocks. Madness, which exists as claws in this metaphor, has had its day! Follow me! What's happening now, mother? What's going on? Mace, did you ever find Marin Trant? Oh, Marin, yes. He was at Planky Town the last time I saw him at the docks when I was singing about Planky Town. Likes children. Oh, God. That Marin Trant. Where'd he get off to, Marin? <laughs>